it's nice that the Lord takes care of us and, and meets us with these, these needs like that. So uh, I'm glad I'm getting tired of being like the, the telescope hobbling around the Hubble spot. So anyway, that's supposed to be a joke. Huh? <laughs> We're not laughing at the joke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Take a Bible to turn to Titus, New Testament book. Paul is writing to Titus. He's been encouraging uh, Titus to stay in Crete, to establish leadership in the churches, because the churches, there, there are distractions and things that are possible creating uh, doctrinal problems and issues and uh, they've begun the work there and uh, he is just wanting to continue what remains to be done there in the churches and so that's what he's asking him to do and in the text that we're looking at which is chapter 2 verse 11 uh, what the writer Paul is doing with Titus is he is beginning to formulate in his mind a picture of the salvation that God has provided in Christ. And he does it in an interesting way. He does it in kind of the present, past, and future tense, and then talking about the security of the salvation, the present tense, when he talks about that uh, what Christ uh, came bringing salvation, that he came to bring deliverance from the penalty of our sin. And then he's going to be talking about what uh, is going on now in the present, the, the continuing present tense, where he has brought deliverance from the very power of sin in our lives. That we live here, and then talking about the future, uh, talking about that the gospel of Christ delivers from the very presence of sin, so that we are separated from the sin and we will be with Christ. You've heard that. Phrase I've heard that before. John McCarthy used it in his uh, commentary, and I said, "Well, that's a good idea to use that because it's very clear: salvation with the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin." And then the very end of that text, he's going to be talking about the fact that we are secure as the people of God; that this salvation has secured us as His His people. So. Um, I want to read the text, but before I do, I just want to ask the Lord's blessing on this time that he'll use it in our lives for your glory and he'll, or his glory, and that he'll help us to understand uh, what he wants us to see. So let's pray. Dear Father, do thank you for the time that we have here this, this morning to open your precious word. And I pray that you'll be speaking to my heart and to our hearts, that the Savior would be exalted in our midst, not just that we would be impressed simply for the sake of being impressed, but that you would work in our hearts and lives to help us to see the real value of who you are and what you have called and are calling us to do. And so I pray that you would be blessing this time and using it in our lives for your glory. I do pray for those that are not here this morning because we are a small group. And I'm thinking particularly of Pete and Dory and the girls down in Florida area. And I pray for them and pray that, that uh, they're out and having a good time. It's a needed rest. I know for Pete and Dora, they're quite busy and the girls, it's nice to get away. But I pray that you would be with them as well. And for all of our the family here, for Frank, Luke and Kyle and others earlier, I do pray 
that you would just be working in our lives and in the lives of others. We have loved ones and friends that we pray for and are concerned for. And so I just pray for each one and ask that you would just work here today in our hearts to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. By the way, I'm thankful to the Lord for opening the doors that he is opening on this surgery like that. It's not something that you look forward to, but I do look forward to being able to walk around again. It'd be kind of nice, and so that's a good thing. So we'll take our Bibles and we'll turn over to uh, Titus chapter 2. And just a couple of verses, verses 11 through 14, uh, Paul writes to Titus and says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Notice how he begins there for the grace of God. And the reason he does that is that he's kind of following up on the previous verse where he's been talking about bond slaves. And he's saying that the bond slaves need to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith, with the reason or the purpose clause being that they would adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. They would live in such a way as to set in a position of exaltation and appreciation the doctrine of God, the teaching of God, the instruction of God, our Savior. That passage talking about God as being the God of who is our Savior and also that he is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that the teaching, the gospel that comes from God uh, would be set apart and magnified. And we, we've talked about this, that we do want in our lives to live in such a way that our lives are a credit to the Lord and to his calling in our lives. And that instead of causing people to say, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be like that. We don't want to live that kind of life. We want to live the kind of life that Jesus is exalted and uh, Actually, we can't do that ourselves. We do it in response to the Lord and what he's taught us. And that's that whole passage we've been looking at where he's been talking about the old men, the old women, the young women, the young men, and dividing it up and just giving things to do. But we do these things as unto the Lord to please him. And they sort of develop a life that is consistent with the call of God in our hearts and lives. This is really important. And so having said that, now he's going to, in this text, begin to open up to us this, uh, the, the, how to adorn the doctrine of God by examining the salvation that the Lord has provided for us and that he's calling us to, to submit to. So, uh, and this is important. And so um, we begin that section where he's, he's been talking about um, you've been talking about the grace of God coming um, in, in the Titus chapter 2 he talks about the grace of God verse 11 has appeared bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly righteously and godly in this present age. Notice there that there's both a denial of what we don't do and a positive how we are to live. He talks about that. We're going to come back and look at it. But he's articulating here 
some of the things. He says, looking for the blessed hope, this is future, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. So this kind of gives us the, the text that we're looking at. Let's back up to the beginning of that uh, first section, verse 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Notice, uh, and I think I mentioned this to you before, that there are several passages there where there is an emphasis in the text. And uh, there is here in this passage, the little phrase, the grace of God is emphatic in the Greek, which is just a way of saying that the picture of the grace of God is being focused in front of us so that we can see that and that that is a, a major issue, a major thing that we are, are wanting to see. That um, Paul is saying that we are dealing with God and we're dealing with his grace and his grace is, has appeared. That is a way of talking about the salvation that he has provided. He says the grace of God has appeared. That is the salvation that he has provided God is, is uh, provided a salvation. He is bothered to do that. You know that the salvation that we have did not come about because we were desperate for salvation. We didn't have any hope. And so we were just crying out to the Lord to save us. It's not the case. In fact, I think I can say safely that every single one of us, I know it's the case in me, when I heard the gospel message, instead of responding to it, I ran from it. And I wanted to do my own thing and live my own life. And it was until the Lord really began to open my heart and my mind. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, understand this. And so God is interested in saving. He is a savior. And the verse just tells us there at the beginning of this initial phase and in talking about the, the reality of God coming to deliver us from the very power, the penalty, if you will, of sin that it is the salvation that he has provided for us. And uh, he mentions it in that verse there, the grace of God has appearing. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I was thinking about that. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a, this Paul writing to Timothy, this is a trustworthy statement. So this, he's prefacing this by saying, this is something worth learning. It is a trustworthy statement and is deserving your full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. Here he is now. He is outside the world. He is in the eternals beyond the space-time continuum. He came into the world, and he came into the world to save sinners. And so... The Lord knows that this is a need. He sees that this is the purpose that he came into the world. This is the, the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and to save us from our sins. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus speaking says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but rather to serve and watch this, to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to lay his life on the line as a ransom for many, those that will come to him, those that are chosen, those that are his, his children that he has written their names down in the book. He's come to give his life as a ransom for that many. 
Um, the same is true in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, that which is without that which is on the way to hell because we are all sinners. So he's come mercifully and graciously to do that. Paul said that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us and gave his life for us. So we talk about this salvation, the grace of God, the salvation that God provides, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That uh, idea is that God's salvation has come in the public and before all men so that we might be saved. That's a good thing. He's brought salvation. When he says to all men, you don't want to see that as meaning that he has saved all men. Because we know from the scripture that not, not all men will be saved. Not all men are saved. We know that. And so it's probably better to, to see that as saying the coming of the grace of God made salvation available for all mankind. It's, it's a provision that God has made that is available for anyone who will come. The, the uh, barrier is with us. It, it, the invitation is there, the sacrifice has been made, and salvation is provided if we will come and take it. God offers it. Now we understand that the scriptures are there. Men are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians says. You who are dead in trespasses and sins, dot, 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 God made a lot. We understand that. We know that we're all dead, and we know that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the natural man, the unsaved man, does not, cannot, will not understand the things of the Lord. Things that, are, things that are spiritually appraised, spiritually appraised. So uh, we understand that. Um, we understand that Paul tells us in Romans 3 uh, that the non righteous know not one, none that understand. What does he mean by that? He means understand the things of God, the condition of man. There's none that understand that. There is none. Listen to this. There is none who seeks God. Now, that almost contradicts my experience at one time because I can remember praying to the Lord saying, if you'll do this, this, and this, and this, I'll go to church. Conditions of things that if you do this, I would do that. And it sort of sounds like I was seeking God. But in fact, what he's saying is none seek God on God's terms. We all want him on our terms. We want to fashion him after our wishes, after what we like, what we want. We want to make him into the kind of God and Savior that we want, that we are comfortable with, that lets us do what we want to do while at the same time feeling good about ourselves. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that saves. That's the God of our wishes and our imagination. Paul says that we have like those who have their ears who go to the speakers that we like uh, because they take all our ears. They, they say what we want to hear. And, uh, that's, that's, not, that's not the same. So that uh, the, we understand that when he says he's the savior, he's the savior of mankind. Um, Paul, Jesus said in John, Six in the context, Jesus is talking to the disciples. 
about his coming as the bread of life to the world, the world to save them and help them. And uh, he's talking to the disciples and he's talking about himself. And they are, are raising questions about Jesus coming, grumbling about him. Um, they're asking the bread from heaven they had just eaten of the five of the ten thousand five loaves of two fish. And they were they were hinting to the Lord that, that Moses gave the bread from heaven and Jesus is saying it wasn't Moses but it's the Father heaven. And I am the second from heaven that gives my life to the world. And they um, didn't particularly like that. They were kind of turning against him. And Jesus said this in John 6. Staggering, staggering statement. He says, guys, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that word draws, and I went through looking at it, finding all the places in it. It's actually the word compels. No one comes to me by himself. No one comes just on his own. Now, we do. Most people who take a survey, most people want to go to heaven. And most people like the idea of going to heaven. But they want to go on their own terms. And what he's saying is no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. That's why when Jesus says a real goodbye, Asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Remember that? He put that question to the disciples. Hey, guys, who do men say that I am? And Peter raised his hand and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied to Peter. He said, Peter, you are blessed or fortunate you to be in Because flesh and blood did not give this to you, but for my father. You're very fortunate if that's the case. What does that mean? Why is that he fortunate? Because it means, Peter, that the Father is working in your heart. He's communicating with you. It means you're his property. He's speaking to you. A lot of people out there are running around, but he is bothered to communicate to you and speak to you, and you're blessed. And so here's this picture here, if you will, of what it means to be in a connection and be God's child and have him speaking to you and uh, choosing you and that's what he said no one can come to me unless the father draws or compels him that word compel uh is the same word that was used on a couple of occasions where they came to arrest the apostle paul and they were starting to beat him in the temple and they drove him outside of the temple and slammed the doors behind him remember that it's the same word that's the kind of word that is used to speak of how the father brings us to himself it's not just a little Easy going statement it is a word in which the Father forces, brings us to the point of coming to the end of ourselves and opening our hearts and opening our minds and helping us to see the greatness of His vision and the greatness of His salvation. And so, what I want you to see here is um, that we're not, we're, we're not, we're not passing. This. This, is, this, is, um, this is the active work of God in our hearts to bring us to himself. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a verse that I'm sure you all have memorized. For by grace, of that you have been saved, through faith, that not of 
yourselves. It is a gift of God. The salvation is a gift of God. The faith is a gift of God. It is not a result of our religious works or activity. Um, and it's not a result of our works so that no one can boast. We are, look at this verse. This is, think about what he's saying. We are his workmanship. That is, we are his, I think one of the words is like, almost like a, a, a poem. We are, we are crafted by him, a unique object of his activity and his saving work. We are his workmanship. Created, that means this is something that was not in existence before. We have a new heart, a new life. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we walk in them. So here's the salvation that God has provided, and the provision is not just that he has saved us, but he has prepared us for a specific calling, a specific ministry, a specific work. We are created by God as, as an object of that obedient service to do those works that he is entitled and intended for us to do. And uh, God does that. He's able to do that. He has works. Bothers me that I am, I give him a hard time so much about what he wants me to do. And I, it's, it's really pathetic. Here I am passing a church, and yet there are times when I just, I do, I do what I want to do, or at least I aim. You understand what I'm saying? I just aim my life and my direction to fulfill my own self, my own pleasure, instead of seeking to, uh, to serve him. And uh, it's, it's, it's really sad. John 3, 16, verse, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, here is the opposite of that. This this is telling us that while God is the one behind salvation, yet we have to cooperate with him. You understand that? We have to listen. We have to, our minds have to respond. Our heart has to respond. And he brings us to that point. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, here is the volitional statement. The person who comes must believe. He who believes in him and is not judged. He does not believe, does not believe, has been judged already because he did not believe. So here is the, here is the thing. God is working. He's bringing salvation down. He opens our hearts. He brings us to the point, but we need to respond. So I say that to say this. If you listen to my voice, and God is speaking to your heart, don't walk away because He may not speak to your heart. You miss that opportunity. He's not obligated to, to call you the first time, definitely not obligated to call you the second time. He did to me, to me several times. I was very stubborn. I really thank the Lord for His mercy and His grace and patience. He is so, so, so good. So the first thing, and I'm needing to move on, we're going to run out of time. The first thing is in this passage, the, the coming of the gospel delivered from the very penalty of sin in that verse verse. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing deliverance for all men, bringing salvation for all men. That's what he came to do. Secondly, is teaching us how to resist sin, delivering us from the power of sin. That's in verse 12. Let's read it again. Verse 12 says, 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That is, this gospel, this salvation that he has brought to deliver us from the, the penalty of sin also is teaching us. That's what the idea of instructing means. Instructing is just the word for teaching or training or discipling or educating or nurturing. It is, the gospel is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, there's the negative, and the positive is to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. To deny ungodly is uh, actually means to say no. To deny ungodliness is to say no to things that are not honoring God. This is an interesting thought to me. Um, I don't know how to explain this, but it, as, I, as I grow in my Christian faith and I look at what the Lord has called us to do, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It seems like that the Lord doesn't want us to have fun. Uh, it kind of seems like that he's got this thing that if I'm, if I'm having fun, if I'm enjoying the world and the things of the world, he's mad and he, he wants to, to punish me or whatever. And uh, it seems like he's against that. And I know that's not true. And yet that's what it sounds like. He says uh, in Colossians, to set your affection on things above, not on the earth. Uh, things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, if any man loves the world, he says the love of the Father, that is, the love that the Father gives us to love him back is not in us, and that love, instead of loving the Father back, is pursuing other things. But it seems like, and, and I know it sounds like blasphemous to say that, but it seems like that if we talk about the Christian life, that is such a narrow way that we are, we are sort of confined to a boring unfulfilled life you see what i'm saying whatever and i know that's not true i know what he's saying here is that if we pursue the life of self-indulgence it's going to deceive us and it's going to lead us away from life and away from truth and away from joy and it's going to lead us into a, a life of bondage uh, when we're young uh, I know what it's like to be young, believe it or not, and to have uh, all kinds of uh, fun things that you can do, and you can party, and maybe drink a little bit, and I used to smoke, and do a lot of things, and run around and stuff, and it seems like a world of real fun, but it, it really and truly begins to enslave you, and, and the life becomes bitter, and harsh, and um, confining, my father um, was raised in a wealthy family in Rocky Mount, and um, his dad, Peter Jones, um, died, I think it was appendicitis at a rather young age, and his mother, my, we call her Big Mama, she was my grandmother, um, was remarried, and she married a guy that was abusive and a gambler. And he literally uh, really mistreated her and gambled with all the, her almost the whole her whole state away. And I can give you all kinds of interesting stories about her. She was quite a woman. Uh, 
And I don't want to take a lot of detours, but it just, my, my mind thinks of all kinds of things. I was, she was telling me one time she had a, a key ring, a bunch of keys, because she owned so much of the city of Rocky Mount had keys to a lot of the stores. In Rocky Mount, uh, there's two counties right down the middle is a train track, and one county on one side and one county on the other. She had a bunch of logos overseeing or something, a bunch of stores and businesses. She had tons and tons of keys. She got on a train, she went down to Atlanta for some business thing. She came back and realized she couldn't, she lost her keys. And so she called back then, making the phone call a little bit more involved, but you made a phone call down to the station in Atlanta and asked if anybody in Atlanta, they said, yes, we found your keys, we have them here. She wondered if you'd send them up to us, to her. They said, no, we're not going to send them to you. You're going to have to come down and get them. Because we don't think, this is true, we don't think a woman has been in business with that many keys. So they made her, they made her go down to Atlanta and get them. <laughs> now, I know that would not go very well to today's culture, but whatever. I, <laughs> anyway, um, this, the passage here is just is telling us that um, we have a lot of desires. And my father, who was raised in this kind of uh, influential family, when his new, the new father, stepfather, became abusive, grandmother sent him to live with some relatives in Warrington, North Carolina. And uh, it was an influential family there, a family that he respected the man very, very highly. He was a, was a I, I don't know, he was a very important person and, and he, they used to do social drinking and they would have a glass of wine with his meal and have a cover where he kept a few bottles of, of, of booze and stuff. And dad up, look, looked up to him so much that he used to go in there and sneak a drink, you know what I'm saying? Like that, because he wanted to be like this man. And um, the point I'm trying to make is that at that young age, it seems like a, a new world of history Days of wine and roses, all kinds of pleasure, all kinds of things that you can invest in and do like that and reach out. But that eventually got hold of his life. Remember, it is true, sin deceives. And it will take you further than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll leave you where you don't want to be. It'll make out what you don't like to be. And so it's a sin is very destructive. And the one the Bible says to put Jesus first, that's really not a boring life. That's a life filled with joy. Begin your day. I had a man ask me, I'm not bragging about this. I had a man ask me one time, I went down to work at, at Lowe's. I was there at seven o'clock and the guy came through here and he stopped and said, do you deliberately try to be joyful? And I said, excuse me. He said, when I come through, you're joyful. Do you deliberately do that? No, I just, I, I spend time in the morning. I have to think about it. I spend time in the morning and read my Bible and I try to take it seriously, and I pray, and that does, in fact, provide a joy and a hope and a peace in my life, and it's not that I have to try to fool people. It's just that God's there. He does that. He provides that, and that's the best life to do it rather than, because I know what the opposite of that is. I know what exactly what it means to just go out and indulge the flesh and go out and live for self and and walk with the other people and put up, you know, seek gusto for myself. I know exactly what that's like. And I can tell you the better, it's better to live for him and honor him. He knows what he's saying. And so 
when he, he talks about denying or saying no, um, he's using a phrase. Um, Luke talks about um, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He uses the same word. It means to say no to himself and take up his cross, which is what you die on yourself and follow me. Put Jesus first. And that brings the joy. Uh, Matthew 10, 33 says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him and before my father. So here is the opposite of that, where we say no to the Lord and publicly walk away from him. Jesus said, the day is going to come when I will publicly deny you before the angels come. And that's not a very attractive thing. Ungodliness is a term. Um, Weiss says it means to be impious, ungodly, wicked, uh, impiety toward God, lack of reverence. Um, and so we want, to, we want to say no to impiety. We want to say no to just self-centeredness. We want to say no to living for self and self-pleasure. Um, and worldly desires, worldly desires, um, worldly has to do with the world system, the, the fleshly system. We want to deny ungodliness and we want to deny worldly desires, worldly passions. That's what he's talking about. Every man loves the world and the things that are in the world. We want to, we want to kind of put those things uh, and not seek those things and make those things the major focus. Again, I keep telling you, I know what it means to do that. I know what it's like to do that. And it's not, it's not fulfilling. It doesn't provide joy. Um, the desires, the word that you would trans, you could translate the lust, if you will, or longings. And uh, we want to desire the longings, the worldly longings, the passions, the lusts, um, the things that we love. We want to do that. And in opposite of that, from denying those things, we want to, to seek to fill our lives. Uh, use the word sensibility, sensibility, which is sobriety, to fill our lives with, with soberness, with serious things, thinking about life from a perspective of being serious about it. Fill our lives with righteousness. That's a good word. Righteousness means that which is right. And there is a standard of right. And there is a standard of wrong. And if we don't obey the right and seek that out, we will not be able to discern between right and wrong. So we want to do that. We want to pursue what is right, have our conscience. Well, our conscience is so important. It really is important that we take our conscience seriously. So we want to pursue what is right and uh, pursue uh, doing what is right. And also, um, he uses the word uh, godly. We want to pursue what is godly. We want to be reverential to God, uh, pious, if you will. Um, again, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 12, indeed, all who desire are willing to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who are willing and desiring to to live for the Lord, to put him first, will in fact know what it means to be persecuted and shunned and uh, discouraged against or disparaged against. And so it's important. So here's the second passage, and we'll have to stop because we're over time. And that is that salvation has come to save us from the penalty of our sin that God has brought to us, that, that salvation has appeared. But then secondly, that, that salvation has come instructing, teaching us how to live godly uh, in Christ Jesus, to deny the, the lust and the flesh and the things that literally destroy our walk with the Lord and rather help us to live pious. Notice the last phrase, and we'll stop with this. 
in this present age. See that? That's really important because he's talking about this. When he uses the word age, he's using the word eon. And I think that word more properly belongs outside the time space continuum into the eternal stages as God looks into space and time and he organized space and time, not in years, months, and days, but in ages. And uh, these is kind of like an eternal perspective on space and time. And uh, at this point, we are in a present age, a present time. And uh, this is what he's saying is that the salvation is in this present time intended to help deliver us, give us, uh, deliver us from the very power of sin. Because sin has attraction. Sin desires to pull us away from the Lord and, and distort our, our, our aspect of our perspective and our, our uh, daily schedule. It's, it's easy to do. It's easy to do. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil. My son was talking about that today on the Senate text. He was saying that these things are, are all there and they just attract us so easily away from the truth commitment to the Savior. And we just really need to recognize that and understand that if we want to begin the day with the Lord and put him first and really try to do that, to follow him and ask him to help us because it, that's really what matters. And that's what gives us this victory uh, over the very power of sin in our lives. Sin wants to lead us astray. I guarantee you it does. I know it does to me. Uh, and I know it does to you. But we want to be careful with that. So let me close in prayer. And then Brian, you come up and, and close it. Dear Father, um, what I want to say, I don't feel like I've really said um, but I know that this is a very important topic. It's a very relevant topic. Uh, our world right now is struggling with these things. Believers are struggling with these things. And it really, it's not easy. We want, uh, and we don't listen to, what we want to uh, learn from Galatians 6, 7, and 8, which tells us to be not deceived because God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that and that alone we will reap. If we sow to the flesh, then we're going to reap from the flesh death. That is death toward you, uh, death in our love for you and our seeking to follow you. But if we sow to the spirit and spiritual disciplines of our Christian life, then we will reap life. And that passage, sowing to the flesh produces death, sowing to the spirit produces life, is prefaced by the phrase, be not deceived. And I know that's there because here is a place where we are deceived. We really think that we can sow to the flesh and yet at the same time reap a spiritual harvest. We can't do it. It will kill us. We will find the Christian life boring and dead and, and pointless and hopeless if we are sowing to the flesh. So help us not to do that. Help us to take you to your word and really aggressively seek to follow you and to serve you and to live for you and to honor you we begin each day um, with your word so that you can work in our hearts and produce joy in the life that will make us uh, overflow with that uh, joy and the, the spiritual joy that you promised and make us instruments that are useful in your hand. Now, let's pray this, pray for my, that my life, help me to do that instead of just running my mouth to, to practice what I'm preaching, but help us all to do that because it's really it's a matter of, it's really a matter of our spiritual life, really, uh, because otherwise we'll be like the parable of the sower, where we have people who respond for one and walk away, 
giving evidence that we're not really saved at all. So I pray these things in Jesus' name, thanksgiving. Amen.